All right, guys. This is an opinion piece for WKNC's Out in the Triangle. It's going to be talking about gun violence, and we will have facts to support our arguments and our discussion here. Um, if you guys want to contribute to the discussion, if there's anything you agree with or, or disagree with, if there's something that you guys agree with or that you disagree with, please reach out to us. Let us know how you feel about this discussion. Let us know your opinion, why, what evidence you have to support it. Please, we want you involved in this discussion, especially at this time where everything is so divided and we need to have this honest discussion about weapons and schools. So please email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. Again, that's publicaffairs, one word, at wknc.org. Hello, you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Andre Corbett. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the March for Our Lives, which we attended this weekend, as well as school shootings and gun control in general. So we're just going to start you guys off with some facts today. And these facts are pretty disturbing, to say the least. It's something that you understand gun violence in the U.S., but you wouldn't anticipate it being this kind of uh, extensive. Uh, like, for instance, with the Washington Post, the first fact that we came up with was that more than 26,000 children and teens have been killed in gun violence since 1999. That's almost 20 years. It, it's it's kind of unfathomable to, uh, to comprehend. But then you think about, you know, for every kid, there's two sets of there's a set of parents there too, that are involved in the gun violence. So, that was one thing that you kind of see uh, at the March for Our Lives uh, protest. People were not just scared for uh, their peers and for each other. They were the parents were scared for their kids that their kids might go to school and never come back. Yeah, we also have. Um some statistics about how the U.S. compares with the rest of the world. Um, and this one is from NPR. The U.S. has the 31st highest rate of gun violence in the world, and that's 3.8 deaths due to gun violence per 100,000 people as of 2016. And that's eight times higher than the highest rate in Canada, which is 0.48 deaths per 100,000 people. And that's 27 times higher than the one in Denmark, which has 0.14 deaths per 1,000 people. And that those numbers are pretty similar to what we found with a BBC article we pulled up as well, which noted that actually uh, Canada has a 30 percent gun killings, and the U.S. is leading that. That's the second highest Canada is, but the U.S. is beating them by almost by over 30 percent as far as gun violence. So the rest of them after Canada are. Uh, Australia with 13% and England and Wales with 4.5%. But as you can see, a pretty substantial gap between not just Australia and ourselves with gun violence, but also uh, the second highest was at 30%. And again, we're more than twice that. Yeah. yeah. So we also have some statistics from the BBC about the price of a gun in the U.S. So assault rifles like the ones reportedly found in Paddock's room were approximately $1,500. And that's like the price of a MacBook. Yeah, when you consider that, the fact that, you know, you can just easily take the same amount of money that you would pay for a MacBook and uh, go in and purchase an assault rifle, that is pretty substantial in showing the accessibility of some of a mass killing machine. Um, and I don't say that with any sort of, you know, uh, subjectivity, I suppose. It's just, it's facts of what it is. Um, and so you can kind of see the uproar of how somebody might be scared knowing that these are so easily purchasable when they're comparable to everyday devices that we purchase. Yeah, I can say like um, if you're a high schooler with a job, you could and you don't have other bills to pay, you could save that up in a few months like easily. You know, that's just that's kind of scary. 
and also by the Washington Post, uh, to, to reference that once again, um, we're at the point where, like Marissa said, we're about 3.85 deaths a day. And that was by NPR said. The Washington Post, the Washington Post, they corroborate that that uh, sent that statistic by saying, you know, yeah, we're almost we're at more than four deaths a day. Like uh, the death, like kids being killed by guns has risen thirty percent between twenty thirteen and twenty sixteen. Thirty percent. That's uh, that's a huge number. That that really you really kind of see where this whole protest is stemming from. You kind of understand. Even if you even if you really kind of oppose uh, bans on on assault rifles, the number of, of children dying, you can understand why the why parents, you know, teachers, other kids are fearing for their safety. Um, and also another thing that we need to consider too is the the first solution people seem to go to is that uh, we need to arm teachers in the classroom. But how do we do that safely? And is there a way, is there a safe way to keep guns in a school at, at any at any point? I mean, uh, recently NPR also reported a story too out in California. There was a teacher who accidentally discharged a weapon in his classroom. The teacher is a uh, reserve police officer, so before you say, "Oh, he didn't know what he was doing" or anything else like that, uh, keep in mind again, he is a reserve police officer. The high school teacher was. He discharged his gun even on accident in the classroom. It struck the ceiling, according to NPR, and also some debris fell and hit a student. Um, he said this, this school never reported it to the parents and uh, the, the parents didn't even know until the student came home and told them the incident. And that's how it got brought into the media. So we should really consider, too, even even trained professionals who teach at the school. Are they fully aware of things that could happen of 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 their are they fully aware of how to use the guns themselves in a safe manner? I have to say, like, my mom's a teacher. She teaches kindergarten. Um, I can't imagine her shooting someone. Also, there's just so many factors when you're a teacher. Uh, what if a teacher accidentally shoots someone that they're not supposed to? You know, it could up violence in schools. You know, there's already issues with taking out violent or with violent actions on students of color. Um, I just think it's not really something that's going to make things better. It's probably just going to generally make things worse. Absolutely. And there was a professor on uh, Twitter, which I don't want to relay his information because, you know, I don't privacy and everything, even though yeah. it is Twitter. So, I mean, if you guys really want to find him, I'm sure you can Google him. But he put on Twitter recently that he has been a gun supporter for years. He has his concealed par- carry permit. He has uh, plenty of actual rifles and everything, weapons and everything else. He said that he would not feel comfortable bringing a gun into his classroom. A college professor, he said, because and he feels like he said he feels like he's a pretty good shot. And even if that's not the case, he said he he would not feel confident shooting at someone who came in the classroom. And he said he he said it would put kind of mentality in him to consider all of his students as threats. And he said as a teacher, as a lecturer, he said he couldn't put himself in that position to do that to see his own students as threats. It's not a teacher's job, and I don't think people should be expected to do that when there's easier solutions, you know? It's, it's yeah, it's a dilemma, and it's, it wouldn't be the first time that assault rifles were banned before. Um, Congress actually banned assault rifles in 1984, um, according to multitude of sources. Once again, we're getting this from the Washington Post. 
But uh, even though it was for a brief period, you know, 1994 to 2004, which uh, you might say, oh, that was 10 years, that was a pretty long time. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to like gun bans, it wasn't really that long. It was 10 short years. But just to let you guys know, the statistics say that gun violence actually went down quite a bit when the ban was in place, when assault rifles were banned. At the very least, it should be harder to get an assault rifle like this the kid who shot up the the school in Florida he was like what 19 should a 19 year old even be able to buy an assault rifle no i don't there's no reason to again uh well unless unless you're in the military i don't feel that there's a need for assault rifles out in the streets or anywhere i agree i mean I, i'm i have my concealed carry permit you know, so I'm not, you know, anti-gun. I don't oppose guns. Um, I just am anti-assault rifle. I don't think anything should be in in a civilized society that where it can kill multiple people at one time. I think also, like, what I've never quite understood is people that really like guns. Like, why wouldn't you want it to be safer where you can practice what you love in peace and without worrying about, you know, someone hurting you or you hurting yourself? It's just, it seems like... You know, if you really do want to shoot your gun, like at a shooting range or protect yourself, like you would want it to be safe and very legal. Absolutely. So, I mean, if, if, if nothing else, I think that's a, uh, a good point you make, Marissa. Um, we, if anything, we just need to be from this point on, um, we all just have to have uh, good. We need to talk about it. We need to have the discussion with, you know, pro, not even pro gun people like pro assault rifle and anti assault rifle. We need to find the middle ground where we can start making people safe. Because in the end, everybody just wants their kids, their family, cousins, brother, sister, mother, father. We all want our people safe. So we just need to come to a conclusion where we can find something that works for everybody. But it's got to involve some kind of limitation on assault rifles. Because, again, for the third time, or maybe even more, there's no place for them in a non-active war zone. Yeah. So we really like, that's why we're doing this piece. We want to have this dialogue. We want to air the opinions of uh, the people of Raleigh. We went out and talked to about six or seven people, especially uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, because their opinions are important. These are the kids that have to deal with the aftermath of school shootings because, you know, they're thinking, could this be me next? Like, you, you never really know. No, you're absolutely right. You can't. And I would rather try to limit that risk myself. If I had a kid who was in high school or middle school, I would want to know that I took, I did everything I could to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. But um, with that being said, now we're going to move on and let you hear from the people themselves. Um, we went out and talked to various people, like Marissa was saying, at the event, and they, they, now you're going to hear their opinions, why, they're, why they support this March for Our Lives movement. So, I'm Jonathan. This is my wife. Uh, she made this sign. Um, she just wanted to, like, rephrase kind of the, is now a good time to talk about my feminist agenda to fit the, the gun agenda thing. Uh, so, I think it's kind of fitting. Do you want to say yeah. more about that? I mean, I also feel like it's really frustrating every time there is a shooting or something happens and everyone's like, oh, like, now's not the time to talk about it. Like, when is the time to talk about it? Because there's always a shooting going on and there's always a tragedy happening. So if we're never going to designate a time to talk about it, there's never going to be change. Uh, my name is Vanessa also. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Linda and I'm a Duke medical student and I believe that gun violence is a public health issue and that civilians have no business having assault rifles or assault weapons in general. 
My name is Miranda. I go to Orange High School and I'm in ninth grade. My name's Kayla. I'm also a freshman and I also go to Orange High. I'm here because I think it's important to feel safe in schools and we need change to happen before it happens again at my school. Kids shouldn't be afraid to go to school. I mean, my mom was afraid to send me to school a couple weeks ago and it was kind of scary to walk through the doors and feel unsafe. And, and kids shouldn't, be, shouldn't have to feel like that. Hi, my name is Julian. Uh, I'm here today because we need to end school shootings now. There's been too many happening over the couple of weeks already, and like, this just needs to stop now because all the guns in the world, there's no point to have military rifles in your household or anything like that. At the most, if you were to have any point of gun, a pistol would be fine. But all these school shootings with ARs, it just needs to end now. And yeah, that's why I'm here today. My name is Chloe, um, but people do call me Coco. Um, I'm here because, like my brother said, we need to end school shootings now. And sometimes I don't feel safe in my school because I'm scared someone's gonna pop out of nowhere and have a gun and start shooting people. And that's not, that's not good at all. So I'm here today to stop that. And my sign says, um, Choose kindness, um, no gun, not guns. And the other side says, um, enough is enough. My name is Kyle Futterman. I'm from UNC for Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And we're organizing a rally called the UNC Rally for Our Lives on March 29th at 5 p.m. We're going to have speakers, including Jacqueline Corin and Sarah Chadwick, who were who are students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and have been leaders of the Never Again movement, as well as the brother of one of the victims come as and local um, activists and elected officials. We want to get as many college students involved in this as we can because college, college students really could, should be caring about this issue. And since we all can vote, we need to be active to make a change. The rally will be on Thursday, March 29th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Polk Place, the UNC Quad, in front of the South Building. Hi, I'm Kira, and I'm here to protect my little sister from gun violence. Hi, I'm Kira, and I'm here to protect my little sister from gun violence. So yeah, that was uh, some of the interviews that we did with the protesters at the March for Our Lives this past weekend in Raleigh. Um, many of those were teenagers, as we mentioned, and now we're going to get back to our discussion. Mm-hmm. And these kids are taking more active roles in politics, too. You know, the kids from Florida, they're taking to Twitter. They're trying to start a conversation with Trump. They started the walkout that happened two weeks ago. They, I'm pretty sure they organized the march this weekend. And, you know, it was a national event. It was happening all over the country, not just in Washington, D.C. And that kind of solidarity is something it's rare to see the United States actually being united unless it's something that we profoundly feel impacts everybody and could be a course of real change for this country. And like she was, like Marissa was saying, it's not just in D.C. It was everywhere, all over the country, even internationally. There were several countries, I believe even Japan, and uh, I believe Japan and Switzerland, even they had their own uh, protest amongst, amongst other countries. 
Yeah, let's um you want to look up a few facts on the the march this weekend. Now, I'm not sure on the numbers, but I heard that it was supposed to be the largest march ever in the United States. And you know, there's been a lot of protests recently, I've got to say. So, there were more than actually 800 uh marches this weekend. So, 800 separate marches across the world. Um and that's according to ABC News. Of course, the most prominent one was in Washington, D.C. this past weekend. Um, but they were everywhere. They were in London, um, outside of the U.S. Embassy. Um, they were also in uh, Spain. There were there was a rally in Spain, March for Our Lives. Um, in Rome, wow. Yeah, in Rome, in Paris. Um, as you can see, it's truly an international affair. Even Australians... Where they, with their traditionally low gun violence, they protested as well. Again, internationally, and so this is a subject which everybody cares about. Um, people across the world want to stop seeing children die. Not just children, though. Our our teachers as well, our staff, you know, our faculty of these schools. People want to stop mourning for these people. They want to start seeing lives being saved instead of lives being taken. And it's it's a whole, it's a whole nother. It gives you you get a sense of the gravity situation when you see people care this much about citizens who don't belong to them. They just see humanity. They don't see Americans. They they don't see you know Sp- Spanish people. They don't see uh, Italians. They don't see Parisians or, or French people. They just see people who are being hurt by weapons, assault rifles, and. For them to care that much about a country that's not theirs, they want to see us prosper. They want to see these kids be safe. And we have to respect the effort that they're putting in. We can't we can't we can't allow countries to want gun safety more than we do. I just feel like this is just something that no one is divided on. Like these are kids. Like we were talking yesterday about when we were fourteen. I was not protesting gun violence at 14 I was like you know goofing off with my friends this is not something that I had to deal with as a kid because yes there were school shootings back in 2010 but you know it's just become a whole new world now like okay that concludes our discussion segment uh for gun violence and the march for our lives we hope we made you think or educated you today um I'm Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle I'd like to thank Andre Corbett for discussing this issue with me and thanks for listening. This Saturday, over 800 towns and cities as well as millions of people gathered to protest the lack of gun control in the United States of America. Specifically, I had the pleasure of marching alongside students, teachers, and fellow activists in the March for Our Lives protest in our country's capital, Washington, D.C. While the protests formally began around noon, the streets of D.C. started filling with 800 million people around 7 in the morning. As the crowds made their way to the Capitol building for the march, some individuals stopped by the White House and left posters that demonstrated their discontent. From several blocks away, you could hear the music blaring through the speakers and chants roaring from the crowd. For instance, people were saying never again in reference to deadly school shootings as well as vote them out to demonstrate their intentions for the politicians who are not actively promoting or fixing gun violence in the United States. By now, Pennsylvania Avenue is packed with thousands of people and a video begins to play on the projected screens. 
Pictures of innocent concert goers, elementary children, and high school teens flash on the screen in order to portray the horror of mass shootings such as Las Vegas, Sandy Hook, and Stoneman Douglas. When the video nears the end, the crowd prepares for the first speaker, Cameron Kasky. Cameron, a survivor of the Parkland shooting massacre, addresses the crowd by saying, Welcome to the revolution, and goes on to prove the point that comprehensive gun control is needed in our country. Within his almost 11-minute speech, Cameron emotionally wished a happy birthday to one of his classmates that was shot and killed during the school shooting and reminds activists to protect, educate, and inspire the future, which is looking bright for the U.S. The next speaker, Trayvon Bosley, started his speech by chanting, Everyday shootings are everyday problems. It didn't take long for the audience to participate in this chant, which really hit home for many members and speakers, including Trayvon, whose brother was murdered with a gun when leaving church in his hometown of Chicago. His speech focused on the lack of safety for the youth and adults living in inner city areas. Specifically, Trayvon pointed out that since 2006, there have been more than 5,850 people shot and killed in Chicago. After Trayvon, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas student Delaney Tarr rallied the crowd during her speech on the fight against the NRA. She urged the audience to sign their petition for change, call out their politicians, and apply pressure to the people in power. If nothing changes, she stated, then we will vote them out. Again, the screen switched to a video based on the statistics of school shootings and how these districts prepare for them. Since the Columbine school shooting, 170 elementary, middle, and high schools have experienced active shooter situations. These unbelievable statistics sent a roar through the crowd, and the spotlight switched to this where Demi Lovato stood ready to perform her powerful song, Skyscraper. Not only was her performance emotionally moving, but the message behind her lyrics sparked hope to all who attended the march and watched from home. Merely 30 minutes into the protest, Sarah Chadwick came on stage to give her speech. A dollar and five cents. This is how much each student is worth in schools across Florida. Explained by Sarah, this number comes from the total students in Florida divided by the loads of money that Marco Rubio receives from the NRA for his political views and campaign. Sarah exclaims that this is a morals issue and no price can be put on a student's life. On top of this, her speech displays how this generation can have an impact on future laws and gun policies. As the crowd chants vote them out, more speakers such as Edna Chavez, Alex Wind, and Zion Kelly demonstrate their discontent with the current gun control within the United States. Through the use of personal, peer, and familial examples, the students of Stoneman Douglas, as well as others affected by gun violence, explain how we have the power to create positive change. One of the most notable speeches was by Alex Wind, a survivor of the Parkland school shooting. His words called out the National Rifle Association's actions and the lack of action taken by over 250 representatives. By calling our politicians, registering to vote, and pushing for change, Alex confidently says that we choose life. In other words, common sense gun control can lead to life instead of fatal mass shootings. Another memorable speaker, Zion Kelly, shared the traumatic story of how he lost his twin brother to a gun. Holding back tears, Zion explained how his family is proposing a Public Safety Zone Amendment Act of 2018 in name of his twin brother. This act provides all public and private school systems, as well as colleges and universities, with safe passage zones to and from activities and schools. Because of this amendment, every student in a school of Washington, D.C. will be able to get home safely. After Zion Kelly, several other speakers took the podium to share their thoughts on gun violence in America. David Hogg spoke up for no more gun violence. Naomi Wildler spoke up for the African-American girls who are victims of gun violence and simply forgotten. Maya Middleton spoke of her experience with guns. Matt Post spoke against the politicians and media. Christopher Underwood spoke up for his brother's death. 
Jacqueline Corrin spoke passionately for gun safety in schools. Ryan Deitch spoke against arming teachers. Alea Eastmond spoke for the safety of urban communities. Samantha Fuentes, an injured student of MSD, spoke loudly until the lawmakers would listen. Alex King spoke for his nephew's death and change. D'Angelo McDade spoke for the African-American males subject to gun violence. And lastly, Matthew Soto, Tommy Murray, and Jackson Middleman all spoke up for those lost during the Sandy Hook school shooting. As the march went on, a very special guest was welcomed on stage, the granddaughter of Martin Luther King. Without a speech or a script, she led the crowd in chanting, spread the word. Have you heard? All across the nation, we are going to be a great generation. This moment of the march was extremely impactful, as well as awe-inspiring for many of the students, teachers, parents, and survivors. Along with these speeches, several other video presentations project on the dozens of screens down Pennsylvania Avenue. While some attack the NRA and other politicians that have yet to take a stance on the gun violence in America, other videos simply displayed statistics. These statistics range from the number of fatal shootings in America to the effects of positive reform. For instance, one quick video explained that states that require in-depth background checks have 47% fewer female deaths from abuse, 47% fewer suicides, and 53 fewer law enforcement officers killed. In order to gain statistical credibility, these numbers show how stricter gun laws can dramatically increase the number of lives. Along with the speeches and video presentations, performers and musicians gathered in Washington, D.C. to sing about the hope for the future and the urge for positive change. As previously mentioned, Demi Lovato was one of the many popular artists that took part in the march. Other musicians like Miley Cyrus, the cast of Hamilton, Ariana Grande, Vic Mensa, Andre Day, Jennifer Hudson, and most importantly, the Drama and Choir Club of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School performed at the March for Our Lives. In order to show their last fight and honor the students and faculty lost from the shooting, these students wrote a song titled Shine. While all the performers had an emotional impact on the audience, the students of MSD really took the spotlight and enlightened the crowd with the situation at hand. With the lyrics flooding the streets, the people attending the march, and I'm sure those watching from home, experienced the emotions behind the survivors' voices. Finally, Emma Gonzalez came to the podium to quickly and quietly exclaim her position on the gun violence throughout the United States. After addressing the students who were killed during their school shootings, she stood on stage in silence. As the crowd went through intervals of silence and chanting, a timer finally went off. It had been 6 minutes and 20 seconds, the exact time it took for 17 of Emma's classmates and faculty to be shot and killed. With that being said, Emma left the stage, leaving her, as well as all the speaker's messages, very clear. Put an end to senseless gun violence. To wrap up the march, Jennifer Hudson came out to sing a Bob Dylan classic, which ended the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C., with hope for a better and safer future. This has been Rachel Jones for Eye on the Triangle. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Jeremy with EOT. Today I got a special guest. What's up? It's uh, Jordan Williams. A.K.A. (laughs) Sunny Miles. Sunny Miles. <laughs> Sunny Sun. What's All good? right, wait. What do you do, Sonny? What do you do? Man, um, outside of being a student of a communication major, if you will, I uh, do music. I act a little bit. I've done theater here. I. Geez. How about you expand on, on what you do in music? Okay. <laughs> um, I created a little uh, name, Sunny Miles, my freshman year. And. I've been making music ever since. I play guitar, I play bass, I play drums, I produce stuff, I engineer my own stuff. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to work, or I guess open for Tori Kelly and T.I. and uh, would have been Kehlani and stuff, but it's cool. It's cool, man. 
It's cool. Man, it's a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> we have a lot of stuff. <laughs> so like, uh, so where we start? Like, so what? What got you into music? Like, what? What your? Uh, what inspired you? Word. Uh, I guess long story short, I've been playing drums in the church since I was a kid. Every typical black person it seemed like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, didn't really sing in the choir. My dad sang in the choir though, but I wasn't trying to be like my dad. So I said, nah, I'm, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. I ended up uh, my senior year of high school. I pretty much just quit track because it wasn't really panning out for me. And yeah. I decided to just go for broke with the music tip. And it was really inspired by this play I saw my junior year of high school called Godspell. And I just watched them on stage. And I was like, well, if they did it, I think I can try singing, you know. I'm going to try it. And it's been rolling ever since, man. That's dope, man. I mean, he's not really giving himself enough credit. <laughs> but, I mean, he's a talented. He's a very one of the most talented singers that I, I mean, like, he's just a pure talent right here. Man, it's chill. And, um, <laughs> it's chill. I mean, I mean, don't you got you got music on uh yeah Spotify, yeah Apple man music. I got music out on Spotify Apple Music um it's under the name Sunny Miles um I got the Beta Project that came out at the end of my freshman year so that's on there I got a Stay Sunny tape which is on SoundCloud and YouTube I think and I released a Christmas EP in December if you ever feeling in the holiday spirit <laughs> so. I'm people working, be feeling in the holiday spirit right. when it's not Christmas. Right, you know in July saying? and stuff, man. But <laughs> Christmas in July. I've been trying to work as hard as I can outside of school. But, you know, it's hard being a student and trying to do your stuff at the same time. No, yeah, I feel that. So, so like, wait, how, let's like, um, expand on that struggle, like being an <laughs> artist and a student. For sure. I think it is one of the most, I guess, less discussed. Yeah. Um, things. I mean, I watched a lot of interviews yeah. freshman year and sophomore year from all the people who used to go to college, and no one ever talks about that little in between break. They always kind of yeah. just say like, "Yeah, yeah." But long story short, it's really hard, man. It's it's not as easy as people think it is. Yeah. Just because I feel like it'd be hard because like as an artist, like when you st- especially when you're starting out, you're not making money, right? And as a student, you're not making money. So, like, you're already broke anyway. Yeah, so, like, your main hustle and your side hustle not really making you money. But, <laughs> like, at the end of the day, like, school and music, they're, like, both future. Yeah. Like, when you work on them both hard, like, you're, right. you're expecting, like, a lot of future money. Right. You know what I'm saying? And the thing is, like, for me, I was very much in between. Yeah. Am I going to do this professional thing or am I going to do this music thing mm-hmm. all of high school? And even now, I still toy on the line of which am I just going to go for broke with first. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, it's day in and day out. You got at least 13 to 17 credit hours every semester. Yeah. And you got to do well enough to, you know, make sure that you're not at least seawalling the classes that actually matter. Yeah, some people can barely just do school. Right. They, they, they can barely yeah. do it. So I was literally scooting by with like a 2-7 all of college just because, I mean, I was so invested in school. Mm-hmm. So though I was making big moves outside of the classroom, mm-hmm. in the classroom was pretty much like, all right, I'm just going to class. I'm going to try to do this homework, but I don't really care. I mean. Like a you two know? seven, that's that's you care about school. We have a two seven, it, kinda. That's not you. That's kinda. Not, that's, that's C's and B's. <laughs> I mean, like it's a couple B's, but like the worst part was, especially when you get to college. Yeah. You know, if you got engineer friends, yeah. all of them are talking about their grades and stuff. Like, yeah. yeah, man, I got you know. Oh my god, a B. Oh my god, I got a B on this test. It's just, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Man, I'm like, man, I just got friends. a D barely. <laughs> like, you know, but I can sing. 
So I'm just saying he can definitely <laughs> he can do that. You know? For sure, for sure. But it's not easy. I mean, but it's not it's nothing it's nowhere near as hard as people who don't have college. You know, True. so I got a decent fallback. True. You know Very good fallback. Stay in school. Stay in school on some real. Just stay yeah, in school. Just stay in school. Like try try to network <laughs> in school. Cause you got more opportunities in yeah. school than you think you do if you network it right. Facts, facts. Oh, uh, here's another thing. Uh well, let's talk about some of your musical inspirations. Word, word. word. Um Again, I've been playing drums since I was a kid, so I always had to know every song. Mm-hmm. It's like they call it a drummer, and they're like, "All right, well, do you know such and such?" And if you don't know of it, you're basically gonna mess up the song. Yeah. In some respects, I mean, it's one thing if like the pianist doesn't know it, but if you don't have the concept of the rhythm like the down, beat, right? I mean, it's not it's not gonna flow. So exactly. I had to know everything. So growing up in church, obviously, gospel music is number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is definitely hip hop, especially like they called it the, the golden era, or whatever. Oh, right now, but, or wasn't <laughs> 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 well, real. Um, I guess eighty nine to like ninety three. Yeah, if old I school. had that, like the old school kind of tip, okay. where everyone was kind of you know New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I got to go punk music because I used to play. Tony Hawk, like pro skater, a lot oh, as a yeah. kid. So oh, those games are fun. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, everybody's like those games. all that punk music, all that hip hop, and all that gospel is kind of fused. I to feel make that. Me. I can kind of hear that too. Definitely got soul in your music. Got soul in your voice. Hey, you gotta have that soul. Definitely, all of them have yeah. soul. You feel what I'm saying? Like they have passion. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the. Uh, it wasn't you know necessarily that soulful all the time, but they all have passion. Yeah, I feel so that's that. what you gotta have at least. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I want to talk about one concept um, right. in your music is uh. You, one of your albums is called The Black Suburb. Uh, how about you expand on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't feel like people talk about that anymore. <laughs> well, it's the it's it's the color suburb, but you I mean color basically suburb. there. You color basically suburb. there. You basically My there. Man. Nah, you straight do. Um <laughs> the colored suburb is or a colored suburb, it's mainly just detailing the experiences of black kids that grew up in the suburbs mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, it's, I mean, mainly when I got here, I was noticing that all the black students here, we were all on the first tip trying to, not necessarily trying to be hood, not, yeah. not saying that they all were, but I could tell there was this desire to be from, you know, yeah such and such background. All yeah. my friends are from 2.5 and 2.6, yeah. so I didn't understand the magnitude of like what the hood actually looked like till yeah. I got to know them. <laughs> yeah. And even in that capacity, it is bad over there, but it's not as bad as some other places that we may, you know, True. heard about in the past, but... I was like, well, I'm from, you know, the suburbs. Like, I'm not trying to yeah, front. Trying like, to I'm, front. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I no was I, I was that black kid who was wearing plaid shorts and stuff in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I was the one going on the little marathons with little white kids, <laughs> chilling, you know, because that's just how I live. You got to just be real with yourself. But at the same token, both of my parents didn't grow up in lavish lifestyle, so they gave me the balance of, yeah. all right, well, this is what the hood looks like, and you could easily, you could just have easily have had this, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So the tip was, what kind of music reflects that sound? And what kind of ideas do we grow up with? Like, what kind of struggles do black suburban kids have since, quote-unquote, we don't have any struggles? You know what I'm saying? But it talks a lot about just, I don't know, just the everyday life, the the details of it all mm-hmm. um, in a different light. We've heard about the hood to the furthest extent that I think True. we can hear it. Exactly. And there's, like, more than just hood black people. Yeah, there. there's more than it. And especially we look at people like Lil Yachty for the perfect example he's from the suburbs on mm-hmm. a technicality yeah. you know like he's got this one interview where he was showing about where he's from and I'm like okay well you got both of your parents in the house mm-hmm. like you know you're not wealthy by any extent but exactly. even you've 
I mean, I don't know. I think black people have a, a degree of hunger in them that comes yeah. on a very natural tip it's unless they've been privileged. Like, yeah. Right. And it's the same thing with Yachty. And I was like, well, he's from the suburbs, so I can definitely talk about myself. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, I, I definitely have a story. Yeah, you can talk about yourself and not feel like you have to have some crazy story right. Right. to be an artist. Right, we ain't got to be crazy artists. Yeah, you just got to be real with yourself. I mean, everybody has their own story, I feel like, that they have to tell. And it's like, I mean, everything's relative, obviously. Mm-hmm. Some people's stories are, obviously, crazier mm-hmm. and more, like, real, I guess, or more interesting. But... You can't you can't discredit somebody else's story, and I feel like you know what I'm saying you're 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 definitely paving the way. You know what I'm saying helping pave it away. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. For people who have artistic, like you know, musical talent and ability, but probably feel like they don't have, you know what I'm saying the a lane almost, man. Yeah, the lane just because they're not from a certain like area or they didn't go through like a certain thing, right? Like, you know what I'm saying, but right. That's I don't know, man. Feeling. It, it kind of helped me. I also surrounded myself with a lot of my friends. Also, they're all from the suburbs on some weird, mm-hmm. like, you know. Yeah. And I had been noticing that within the past year, a lot of the people I would work with or a lot of the, same. I guess, rather black people that I would work with. I was like, okay, well, all y'all live the same as me. Like, how do we all know about, like, Paramore and stuff? And, and then, like, and then like, and, I mean, on a simple tip, but then you go on Twitter and stuff and you see the same thing, too. Yeah, Twitter Twitter so, definitely brought social groups, like, you know? way closer. Like, made everybody realize that they're not alone right. with their interests, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. it's cool for black kids so to, like, we're out here right. being weird on right. purpose, like, because right. like, everybody weird. Right, man. It's cool, man. I like I like the clash and, like, or not all weird, these other nerdy. punk things as, just yeah. as much as I like anything else, you know, just as much as I like Absol or Kendrick Lamar Mm -hmm. it's just about a balance and if anything that kind of gives people like me a leg up to say we know where to pull from Mm -hmm. in various genres and various vibes yeah I think that's pretty cool too definitely 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 um so how about we talk about uh the song you wanted to play oh yeah dude it's called the kids long story short man music is so formulaic and I know you can at least agree to an extent um, it's just very I think it's always been predictable but now even more so it is expected whereas I think in the 80s pop music was obviously predictable but you wouldn't always expect an outcome and I mean you can't necessarily expect an outcome for every artist but it's so expected now like mm-hmm. I know what this outcome is going to be yeah. or I feel like I know what a song is going to be and you don't want to have that input but you do yeah you want to you want to give people like a vibe right you know what I'm saying you don't want people to just hear the same thing right. they're used to right so I kind of just a new experience right so it was I mean I, I kind of just combined the funk and the groove of it all and the passion and the power and I don't know it's a it's an easy little tune not really that long I wouldn't even say it's that catchy but it's raw and it's powerful and it'll make you move and that's, that's the least matters. as long as it makes people feel something that means make, that's a good music you know right what I'm there. saying that's so I guess that's it, man. It's just talking about everything going on in this world today, man. All these parents, they suck. All these adults that are making all these decisions. <laughs> and they love to say that millennials are messed up. Yeah. And they love to say all these things. But it's basically a song just saying, like, and they say the kids aren't all right. Like, how could they say that with everything going on in the world today, with everything they're doing, you know? So Someone's got to say it. <clears throat> Hey, somebody's got to say it without being preachy. <laughs> you know? Because we, we don't need no pastors anymore, man. Like. Yeah. <laughs> We just hey, trying to feel. A message that sounds good musically. Right. That's beautiful. Boom. There we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Something tangible for the people. That's so beautiful. Not to say parents suck, but you know, you know what that. I mean. You know. <laughs> you I know. feel that. I feel that. All right. Well, we're running out of time. All right. This is Jeremy from EOT. 
Yeah, dude. Make sure you follow me, uh, Sunny Four Miles F O R, and then Miles like the M I L E S on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all that stuff. You can listen all to all that. my music if you want to. If you don't, it's really cool. I'm not. I'm not pressed. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I hope you do. Hey, check my boy out. We're about to play his new single, The Kids. Yes, yes. Make sure uh, you listen to it and all that stuff. It'll be out everywhere May 4th. Here we go. When you're running out of time, as it circles in your mind, when you're deeper in the lows, when you're losing on the highs, when you care about the lies, when they're staying in the way, when you're stuck within the minds and you're losing your way, when you got the energy and it's not within the plans, when it's just within the reach, oh, when you're losing all demand, you see that's where you find me, baby, oh, that's where you find me. And you practice how you feel You don't care about the lies You just care about the deals You see, they say the kids just ain't alright so, uh, They say the kids just ain't alright So If the kids ain't alright We gon' show them tonight We gon' See, you are no God, no good to your hood, no missy. 